0: My name is uh, Bobby Wood, and as Cody said, I'm the Sin City Missionary for Salt Lake City. And uh, what I do, I oversee church planting um, all the way from Logan and Salt Lake down to Provo, which is kind of the capital of Brigham Young University. And uh, you may know Salt Lake City for being home of the Mormons, and that is very true. Um, And that's where I live. Um, I'm also a teaching pastor in a lay capacity at my church, uh, Redemption Church in Ogden, Utah, which we planted in 2013, nine years ago. And uh, as we'll, our main text this morning the be Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I just want to say um, I'm excited to be here this morning for your mission summit. Um, this is an awesome opportunity, and um, I'm just so thankful for Iron City, just for your gifts, just as being a Southern Baptist church, your gifts to the cooperative program and also to Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. All that, when you give to those places, that money goes to missionaries and church planters on the field. And so I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, as once a church planter and now working with church planters, um, just how much that means. And then alongside of that, having a church like an Iron City. says we want to get behind the work going on at Salt Lake, and we want to help however we can. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, I want to talk, share a little bit of my family um, I've been married for the last uh, 13 years, I've got four kids, um, ages 10, 8, 6, and 3, so house is busy, it's always something going on, and I was thinking about this, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I've been married to my wife for 13 years, going to 14 this year, and I just can't believe like it's been that long, it just seemed like it was just yesterday we got married, and I don't know about you, but if you are, are married, you probably remember that wedding day, and how wonderful that wedding day was. And all the preparation and plan that went into that wedding day, all the pomp and circumstance that went into that wedding day. um, You know, you think about all the flowers and food and dresses, and everybody just gets ready, and family comes in from all over the place just to be there. And it's amazing. And I remember my wife walking down the aisle, and she was absolutely beautiful, and I was just so happy to be there at that wedding. But it's also, it was also a really sobering day for me because of the commitment that I was making to my wife, this covenant before God that I was going to marry her and give my life to her. Several years later, um, me and my wife were talking and just kind of reflecting on that wedding. And she was telling me, she was asking me, she said, hey, you know, I've always wanted to ask you this. And honestly, I've been scared of the answer. And I'm like, Uh Uh-oh, where's this going? Going, you know? Like, I don't know where we're about to go. Direction we're going down. And she said, "You weren't smiling when I came down the aisle, and I always wanted to know. Like, did you not think I, like, I was beautiful?" And I was like, "What? Like, how in the world did you get that?" So you you weren't have a smile on your face. And you know, I said, I knew exactly what she was talking about. And so for me, I mean, I take Ephesians five seriously when it says that husbands to love his wife as Jesus loves the church. So you think about what does Jesus do for his bride? He gave his life for his bride. He sacrificed himself in his own interest and died for his bride. And so I realized that day on that wedding day that I was saying in front of all these people in front of the Lord, I'm willing to die for my wife if it ever came down to it. So yes, I'm excited and I do this joyfully and happily and excited. But at the same time, in a sense, I'm signing my death certificate. Right? <laughs> you know, and I, and I you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, if I came down to it, I'm giving my life up for her. And I do that joyfully. But that's what I'm saying in that moment. And I think when we think about Christianity and coming to Christ, I think sometimes we treat it as like some people treat weddings. Everything is all about the wedding and nothing is about the marriage. Right? You put all this time and effort and energy. and You say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian now. Now what? When you sign up to follow Jesus, yes, he paid the price for your sin. He bought you with a price. It's all done by the work of Jesus on the cross, on the finished work of Christ on the cross. But he bought you with a price. And then our life is to live in a reflection to him, giving our life to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. For I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, mercy of God. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. So we present our bodies to him as our spiritual worship, where our lives are no longer our own. When you become a follower of Christ, you are also signing your death certificate. Death to me, life to Christ. New life comes, but our life is no longer our own. I think when we talk about missions, and the reason why I start here is because foundationally, If we do not realize that our lives are not our own, and they do not belong to us, we will have the incorrect view of what it means to serve our life on mission to God. We'll miss it, because we're only thinking about me, and my comfort, and this is my life, and this is how I'm going to live it, and I've got my plans, and my dreams, and my money, and my time, and my effort, and all of my things. None of that is yours and none of that is mine. It's all Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And this is the main point today that I want to uh, propose to you. And the text makes this really clear. That the call to follow Jesus is also a call to the nations. The call to follow Jesus is also a call to the nations. Acts chapter 1 and look in verse 4. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the book of Acts is written as a second part of Luke's gospel. Luke writes Luke and he writes the book of Acts, and Acts is kind of like what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. So going back to the crucifixion, Jesus dies on the cross. When he dies on the cross, what happens to the disciples? They, are, they flee, they run, they hide, because they were expecting, even though Jesus kept telling them over and over again, Messiah to come, overthrow the Roman government with sword and war, and basically restore this nation of Israel, and they're about to see it all come into fruition. And Jesus basically says, like, hey, on the cross, if, if I wanted to destroy you right now, I'd send a host of angels, and they would destroy you. I'm not afraid of, of man. And his whole purpose of coming was to defeat sin, to conquer sin and death, so that we can be brought into the family as sons and daughters, that his salvation um, over sin could bring us into the family. So he dies on the cross, and three days later, just as he promised, what happens? He comes back alive again, like he actually rises from the dead. This isn't spiritual. Physically, he is alive. And he spends time with the disciples, And you imagine those disciples, they were fleeing one moment and the next moment. They're now with Jesus, and they're getting to hear from Jesus and eat with Jesus and be with Jesus. And this is where the book of Acts starts. And in verse 4, he's staying with them, right? And he's kind of giving them his last words. He's like, don't leave from Jerusalem yet, verse 4. just wait for the promise of the Father, which he says is, the Holy Spirit. It says, you, John baptized with water. We should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, going, is coming. And basically, the Holy Spirit is to testify of Christ and his resurrection and, and crucifixion and what he did on the cross. The, Jesus is, says, I'm going to leave you and ascend into heaven. And they came together. And at, it's funny, in verse six, the disciples always ask this question Lord, same question they asked before, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? They still want to get that, we want that kingdom right here, right now. And this is what we want to see. And they ask the question, and he says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he doesn't even really answer that question. He points them to something else in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And what will he empower you to do? Verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and to the ends, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, what does it mean to be a witness? That they had actually seen and testified that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and that he actually came back alive. And, and, and just in case if you're new here, or maybe you, you've not really thought through this, or you're even doubting, like, okay, is this really happened? Every single one of those disciples who fled at the crucifixion, other than Judas and and possibly John, gave their lives believing that they had saw the risen Savior. They died as martyrs because they knew what they saw, they knew the time they spent with Jesus, and they lived their lives as witnesses of the resurrection. So they go through Jerusalem, they start in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, as you walk through it, it's the, the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches this amazing sermon, and he's just preaching the gospel, it's really not like anything special about it, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicts sinners, and what happens? Over two, like 2,000 people believe in Jesus, and they're spending their whole time the rest of the week baptizing all these people, you know, so it's a, that's a big baptism service, And they're baptizing all these people. And then Acts chapter 3, they keep going. Acts chapter 4, Peter's preaching again. You get all the way to Acts chapter 5, of course, Ananias and Sapphira. And then Acts chapter 6, we see an introduction of a guy named Stephen with one of the original deacons. Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches the gospel. And what happens after that? People are upset at his preaching. And what do they do? They stone him pull him aside. We're done with you. They stone him. And who's right there at the stoning, giving approval to the execution? Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. Acts chapter 7, or Acts chapter 8, we see in the very beginning of verse 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see them in Jerusalem. They stay in Jerusalem until this persecution happens, and God sends them out. God sends them out. It was uh, providentially, God sent them out, right? And that's a big part of missions, and I want to talk a little about that in a minute. But he sends them out due to persecution in the regions of Judea and Samaria. You've got a guy named Philip, Philip goes and he preaches in Samaria. And the Samaritans, by the way, they were the people that the Jews didn't like. Samaritans were the ones who were a lot like the Jews. They were kind of a a group of people after the Assyrian uh, Assyrian deal in the Old Testament came in. And uh, the Samaritans were people that had a lot of the same beliefs as the Jews did. But they had twisted a lot of things. So they worship God in a different place, they made different sacrifices, um, and they hated each other's guts. So much so where if you were Jewish, you would avoid the land of Samaria to go around it because you hated the Samaritans. And so one of the original things God does through the gospel is he brings people together around the gospel. Different races, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes, all because of the sake of the gospel. The gospel brings us together. All right, so that, and then Acts chapter 8 goes on. Philip meets a guy called the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is this big court official in Ethiopia. If you look back in ancient archaeology, we still are finding, especially in northern Africa, remnants of the early church that were there. Part of the first church, first churches ever made were in Africa, northern Africa. And I mean, I wonder, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder how much that Ethiopian eunuch started, like, that original gospel movement in North Africa. It would be so cool to find out one day, like, that's where that all started. And we see it right in our Bibles in Acts chapter 8. Again, the Bible continues to go out in the book of Acts, talking about the spread of the gospel. So, we see the pattern very clearly laid in the book of Acts. You see the providence of God moving people because of persecution. You see the providence of God coming in, in the sense of bringing this Ethiopian eunuch down this path, and the Holy Spirit brings Philip on the same path, and they meet. Over and over and over again, you see the power and move of the gospel. So what does this mean for us? As we look at this book of Acts, and we explore Acts chapter 1, how does this impact us? Well, going going back to Acts chapter 1, I want to point out a couple more things here. Uh, In verse 9, and when he had said these things, they were were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So the disciples are standing there, they're waiting, and Jesus gives them his last words and this cloud takes Jesus on up to heaven. And they're standing there just looking. So much so, we're in verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So they were literally just staring like this. Did, did we see that? Did a cloud just take Jesus into heaven just now? And they can't, they, like, imagine this. And they're just staring. And then verse 11 says, "And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Stop staring up at the sky and uh, realize, like, he's coming back again. So what does this mean for us? The first point I want to uh, look at is that God has empowered you to accomplish the Great Commission. God has empowered you, everyday believer, to accomplish the Great Commission. I don't know about you, my, um, I, I love watching the whole superhero genre and movies that are out all the time. It's just cool thinking about, hey, that's awesome. The, kid, the shows and cartoons you watched as a kid, now they're making movies about them and seeing people's superpowers, and, and that's great. But I think a lot of us, to see missionaries in that same light. Like, man, they're the superheroes. And that's like the superhero of the the Christian world. Or maybe that's the special forces of the Christian world. I could never be a a missionary. Like, that's not me. I I don't know a lot about the Bible. I'm still learning. Or maybe you go, I'm not great at talking to people. And I don't really like talking to people that I don't really know. And that puts me in a really, I get a lot of anxiety from that. But I can just tell you this. God has empowered you to accomplish the Great Commission. I don't care what your background is, I don't care how much education you've had, whether you've had seminary training, and you've got a doctorate, a PhD in the Old Testament or New Testament, God has empowered you to carry out the Great Commission. Well, where do we see that? He it says it's here in the Bible, right here in this passage. The Holy Spirit's gonna come, and He's talking to Peter, James, and John, the rest of the disciples. And he says, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This power is to help and aid in the spread of the gospel. Makes it clear in verse 8. And yes, there are great miracles that happen in the book of Acts. But the point is the spread of the gospel to the nations. God wants to empower you to carry out the great commission. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Peter and James and John are preaching. And it says this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So what's the qualification you need for being a missionary? One thing, you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you are called to be a missionary. Charles Spurgeon once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We're called to be missionaries, folks, every single one of us. And you may never go to a foreign country. You may never leave the United States of America. And yet you are still called to be a missionary. You're called to be a missionary, and we heard about it this morning. I mean, it it was awesome just listening to the stories of just... All the different work that Iron City is partnering with, and these different partners that are all are around, some local, some working with those who have, have gone through really tough times, foster care and adoption, um, those in other countries and, and wells to help people that are that are needing just running water I mean just it was awesome to hear all the work that 's going on around the world, and God wants to use you in the middle of that isn 't that crazy that God would use ordinary common people to to share his greatest message of the gospel to the ends of the earth, he wants to use you. Why? Is there anything special about you? No. We know the gospel, and we know that we were sinners, and there was nothing about us that earned our own righteousness. We were sinners on our way to hell, and everything in us, even our best days, our best deeds were false righteousness, self righteousness. But because of the work of Jesus on the cross, he brings us into his kingdom and then he wants to use us for his mission. I, I just I'm blown away by that. That God wants to use you and I for the purpose of his mission. Second Corinthians four seventeen says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us treasure in jars of clay, Holy Spirit of God dwelling within each one of us, and that you and I are like that jar of clay, fragile, we break easy, our, our pot may be chipped and scratched and all these things are on it, but when people hear the message of the gospel, the point is that they don't look at you and they glorify in you, the point is that they hear the message of the gospel and they glorify in Jesus. That's the whole point, that he wants to use you no matter what your background is or how much experience and education you have for the purpose of his mission. I love this quote by Jim Elliott. He says, missionaries are very human folks, just doing what they are asked, simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. A bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody, that's what we are. We're just trying to point to Jesus and lift him up. The second thing we see here, Stop staring up at the sky and get to work. Stop staring up at the sky and get to work. The disciples sitting there looking up at Jesus, going into heaven, and they're just staring. I don't know how long they were staring. Maybe it could have been a, a few minutes. And finally, like, so much so where it was uncomfortable, where the angels had to be like, Hey, guys, stop staring up at the sky. You heard the work, the commission Jesus gave you. Now just go. It's time to get to work. I've got four kids, and uh, my, I've got, oldest is a girl, it's age 10, my boy's eight, six, and then my youngest is three. So whenever I ask them to clean the room, I don't know if you're, if you're a parent and it's like this at your house or this is just me, but when I ask them to clean, my kids to clean their room, it is like the thing that they, they immediately forget as soon as I tell them. Like, it's like, I'm not even talking. I'm like, hey, I just told you to clean your room. Before I realize it, I leave the room, come back, what's been done in the room, absolutely nothing right they're they're on the floor they went up playing with the toys that they're supposed to be cleaning up one boy is out in the kitchen he's like going through the cabinets looking for snacks and I'm like I told you to clean your room what are you doing right now then they get to start fighting with each other fights break out in the middle of cleaning the room because somebody picked up something the other one was supposed to pick up then they get mad at each other over everything they get distracted from the work in which I told them to do. And the same is true when it comes to us. We are so easily distracted in all sorts of other things that don't matter. We're staring up at the sky. We're looking around. Maybe that looks like just a normal everyday routine of life. Life's busy, I get it. I mean, I'm, a, I'm busy. I have a lot going on. I feel like I never have enough time to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. And your life, I'm sure, is just as busy, maybe more busy than mine. And as you think about your own life, you're like, man, I don't have time for that. Like mission stuff, uh, you know, I want to help out. I heard some of these things. That's great. But I don't have time for that. I, you know, I got all these other things in life. You have time to do what you want to do. We all have time to do what we want to do, and we make priorities based on what we choose to do with our time. Every time you choose to do something, you are making a decision of what's important in your life. And what's important to your life, I can look at your calendar, and I can see what's important to your life. I can look at your budget, I can see your, um, your, what you do with your kids, I can see what's important in your life looking at those things. So when we say things like, oh, I don't have time for missions... Well, it's not that you don't have time for missions. You just chose other things other than missions. We get distracted. We fight. Man, I mean, right? Like, you probably we don't have to explain this to anybody here, but over the last couple of years, man, it's been kind of crazy, right? And, uh, man, social media or, you know, whatever it is, man, we are good at fighting with each other, right? Like we, it, is, it is not a difficult thing for us to do. And there are surely important things for us to fight over, but there are a lot of unimportant things that we like to fight over, so much so that it distracts us from our main mission. I telling you, in Salt Lake City, sometimes I'm like, I-, I hear what's going on around the country. I'm like, is that really a thing? Is that really a fight that's going on right now? Like, man, while y'all are busy fighting over this stuff over here, there's people dying and going to hell every single day in my city. What's, what, what did that do? What did that gain you? We're great at fighting. Stop looking at the sky and get to work. Jesus called us to a task. He called us for a work. David Brainerd said this, Here I am. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself if it be but in thy service, and to promote thy kingdom. Man, is that your heart? Jesus, I'm right here. I know I've been distracted, but I'm ready. Send me. I'm busy looking at the sky, or done looking up the sky, and I'm ready to get to work. Where would you have me go? Is it where locally can I serve? Where maybe in North America? Where internationally? How can I be involved in what you're doing in my life? And I'm I'm putting that yes on the table for you. It's no longer my life, it's yours. The third thing we see here is that we aren't finished until Jesus comes back. We aren't done with the work until Jesus comes back. As the disciples are looking up into the sky, he says really clearly there, the same way you see him came up, it's the same way he's coming back. And one day he will come back. He is coming. We don't know when. Man, I wish we had the exact moment. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Like, man, I would love, I'd love when, to, to hear. it. I'm, I'm a, a type of guy who like, doesn't like surprises a whole lot. So, like, I love knowing the schedule and the calendar, like, what's coming up next. Um, and, and so, for me, it's like, man, it would be great to know exactly the moment. Jesus, just tell me. I would love to know but he's given you just enough that you need to know to accomplish the work that he's called you to accomplish. You're not done until he comes back. It's pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple instructions, but it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to start something. I'm a starter. I'm an idea person. I love starting new things, but it's always on the back end of just finishing the thing you start. That's difficult, You're starting like a home project. You're like, oh man, I tell my wife, oh this will be easy. I'll knock this out in an afternoon. It'll be no big deal. And then 17 trips to Lowe's later, and you know, eight weeks later, and uh, triple the budget. You know, you finally finish that project, and it just takes forever. And sometimes we go, man, I want to do something else. I don't want to be doing finish this project. We're not done with the mission until Jesus calls you home. We're not finished. And you may be great at starting something, and you may say, well, I started out well. Man, as long as you have breath in your lungs, God has called you to that mission. You were not done. You were not finished with the mission that God has called you to. Whether you are 95 years old or you are 12 years old, God has called you to be a missionary. I try to teach this to my kids, um, you know, and they, they play sports, and, Um, the school they go to and I say guys like hey I want you to realize this God has put people in your life that don't know Jesus and even at a young age I want them to know you are a missionary you are a missionary whether in Salt Lake City Utah or they live in Anniston Alabama you're a missionary I think about Salt Lake City and the work that's been going on, and um, you know it is, it's hard, it's tough, there's, there's a need always for more church planters, more laborers. Every single one of our church planters would say, hey, we need more help. We just need more people that say, we're, we're willing to give our lives to this, to start new churches. I've got planters in places of one planters in a community of 50,000 people. He's the only evangelical church in that whole city. 50,000 people not just baptists i'm talking any evangelical church at all i was doing some research and a friend had passed along this quote and i just want you to to listen to this quote he says many of our eastern people seem to think that utah is able to take care of herself but how can the blind lead the blind without landing together at the bottom of the ditch The non-Mormon or Gentile population is rapidly increasing, and this is helping very much to solve the problem of hierarchical control, but we need thousands more of them. And the sooner they come, the sooner Utah will be redeemed. We need many more workers and much more means. We certainly need the sympathy and prayers of all God's children. Men who have been for many years doing Christian work in Utah say that this is by far the hardest field either home or foreign, in which to do the effective work for the master. When do you think that was written? I feel like I could have written that yesterday. It was written in 1907. 1907. Now, now of course, I, my, my field that I serve in is Salt Lake City. It's where I serve. But there are fields all across the world that are just like that. You just need people to come in. Saying, my yes is on the table. I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, wherever you got me. Whether it's in Swaziland, Salt Lake City, or in your backyard. Where does God have you? Where does he want you to serve? It's been really cool to be here. And I'm just so pumped to see what God's going to do at Iron City. In this next decade, God has used this church in some powerful ways in missions across the world. You know, I know the next thing that is, uh, is on the, the minds of this church is what's next for us. And just to start praying over this next decade, what is God calling Iron City to do? How is God calling you to be a part of that mission? Your time, your talents, your treasure to use those for the sake and purpose of the mission, that God wants to use you, no matter who you are. As long as you know Jesus, he wants to use you. Today we celebrate what God has done in the last 10 years, and we step up by faith to answer the call of what God would have Iron City to do in the next 10 years. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you use fragile individuals like us to accomplish your mission. Lord, it is mind-boggling that you would use us for your purpose. God, you could use absolutely anything to save anybody. You are the God of all the universe. You are the king of all creation. Your spirit is powerful and convicts and moves. And God, I just pray today, Lord, that we would be people that submit ourselves humbly to you. That we would give ourselves over to you for the purpose in which you called us to. God that we would live our lives on mission, not because of our own comfort or our own security or safety, God, but because you have called us to it and we want to live our lives as worship to you. I pray for Iron City this next 10 years that as they seek to follow you in what you've called them to do. God, I pray for the partnerships that you would put before them. I pray that maybe even today there are people here that just need to say yes. And I pray that they would say yes to giving their lives, to following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: We really appreciate that word. Josh, if you would go ahead and join, join us on stage here. You know, when I'm, Andrew and I started talking about the, the mission summit, you switched sides on me. That was quick. It was really conflicting in a lot of ways. <laughs> Because over the last year and a half, two years, we just haven't been able to go like we like to go and to do the things that we like to do. And, but at the same time, we've been dreaming and, and really thinking about, like, what does missions look like and what's missions all about? And, and as we started kind of zeroing in on what we believe God would have us to do as we gather together on this Sunday, we started thinking, you know, what we need to do is we need to figure out how to look back over that last 10 years and see it as a foundation and an inspiration for what God would have us to do over the next 10 years. You know, I, with my own eyes, have witnessed men in Africa repent of the prosperity gospel. I've seen that, and we were a part of that together. I've seen people that have a roof over their head that before had no place to stay. I've, I've talked with missionaries that have been encouraged and have went and, and reached people with the gospel that did not know Jesus because you allowed us to fund them to go. And I look back over the last 10 years and I'm proud of it. I, I don't think in an unhealthy way, not, not in a way that, that pokes out our chest as a church and says how great are we, but I look back and I think God allowed even little old us to be a part of that because he is good. Because he is great. And because he is building his church. And so as we looked forward, we, we thought about so much of the experience that we've been able to gain over the last decade. So many of, of the praises, that, so, so many of the mistakes that we've made over the last ten years. And we use those to help us to hopefully chart a path on where we believe that God would have us to go over the next decade. And we're kind of simple-minded folk, and so what we decided we wanted to do is to present a plan that we think is simple, and it's built on on just three goals, three big goals for the next ten years of missions at Iron City Baptist Church. And we believe that by God's help, that this will go for God's glory, and that it will enable us to be a part of something together that very few people are able to be a part of together. The first of those goals that we want to present to you this morning, if you guys will will throw that slide up there, is we want to see God, we, we want to establish a strategic partnership in every region of the United States and in every continent of the world. We want to establish a strategic partner in every region of the United States and in every continent of the world. The Lord has blessed us with great partners. And if you'll go to that next slide there, when, when I started thinking about like what is a partner, Josh, Andrew, and I both said a partner is, is the Feltners. A partner is the relationship that we have with, with Harvest Baptist Church. When, when I see and thank Josh Feltner, my, my first thought isn't missionary, it's friend. It's friend. It's co-laborer. It's brother. The picture that you have up there is a, is a picture of the campus of Harvest Baptist Church, which I don't think existed 10 years ago, isn't that right? And so we were able, in a very small way, the Feltners did the work, actually God did the work, but the Feltners, they fronted the work there, but they allowed us to come in and be able to to build a friendship, and and they were great partners, because they've been great friends. And so Josh, as, as we kind of frame up on what we're talking about, when we mean partner. We have a lot of folks that have been in our church less than a year. They haven't had the opportunity to meet Josh Feltner and to know what all God is doing. Can you maybe just walk us back? I think it was 2009, some, somewhere in there, and you guys identified that Lots Creek was a place that needed a church. What, what did you guys see there that let you know that we needed another church in Lots Creek?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as a pastor, I want our people to know the importance in the calling of the Great Commission um, as a as a dad um, I, Marty and I as parents we want our children to understand the need for for worship daily worship not just something that happens on Sunday morning um, and as brothers and sisters in Christ as a Christian I, I want our I want my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to understand the the commitment and the sacrifice that we're called to 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 lead people to Christ, to lead people into worship, to give them a strong foundation to stand uh, on the Word of God and have good doctrine and, and, and a good perspective of the Great Commission and, and what the entire redemptive story brings. And so, you know, those are things that, that are taught. Those are the things that are led out in experience uh, in healthy churches.
3: That's
1: right.
2: And so as we look to at Lots Creek and the surrounding area there, um, it was different than what you're going to find in Utah. I was talking to Brother Bobby and, you know, he was talking about in, in a particular place and there was, there's absolutely, you know, no Christian churches there. We've got churches everywhere, uh, just like you have churches here. And so it wasn't, and matter of fact, we have churches even on Lots Creek that were, I know that there are some of the most God-loving people in those churches they love Jesus, but they're not focused on the Great Commission. They wasn't healthy churches. And so we looked at revitalizing and uh, really prayed about that and just felt the Lord uh, was leading to, to begin a new work and just start from scratch and erase all the dirty history you know, that we were going to have to deal with in a revitalization that, uh, as we looked at it, decided that, you know what, a church plan is the way to go uh, to really give people an opportunity. We wanted to see people come to Christ uh, and, and build the church through uh, salvation, through discipleship, and so they didn't have all the all the other stuff to deal with. And uh, you know, by God's grace, that's exactly who we are today.
1: Amen. I, I know my the first time that I, I crossed the bridge there and, and came on, which to, is
2: not, not any not there
1: anymore. Yeah, it's not there, right there anymore. To yeah, the, yeah, thanks the river on that or a creek yeah. on that one. But the you, you know you you go in there and I thought. Man, I just, I just, the presence of the Lord is here, and God is doing something here among the people, and the worship of your church is is so rich, and just to to see what God has done in your church family and through your leadership and through the work there. If you were to think through maybe a person in in your congregation, maybe it's someone that was baptized or someone that you've had the opportunity to reach or disciple or whatever, that really summarizes what gets you out of bed in the morning and and makes you. Thankful for what God is doing. Is there, is there a story that just comes to mind? Yeah, it,
2: this is going to get me in trouble because I'm going to pick one. Actually, I'm going to pick a couple, at least so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> in a, um, a married couple in our church, uh, Rick and Vicki Sexton. Uh, get just emotional thinking about these two. Uh, Vicki uh, came through our church. We picked her son up on the van. A number of years, and uh, the only con- the only connection I had with her was, you know, uh, every now and then walking in the house as we dropped him off, and then uh, the Lord providentially uh, brought her and, and Marty together uh, in the same workplace, and they began to and it began to talk, and we were able to to see Vicky come to Christ and baptized her in the very creek that took the bridge out, <laughs> um, and um, have just seen her uh, with a hunger like you don't see in every salvation and that's been a number of years ago now and the hunger is still there and today she's been discipled uh she is now a sunday school teacher she is now a vbs coordinator and uh she married ricky just a few years ago he'd lost his wife and uh, they got married and he became he came into our church as well and uh he has made the comment numerous times in different ways he said i have been in church all of my life and he said, "I've never been taught like this. Mm. I've I've read the Bible all of my life, I and mean, I've never been able to see the things that I can see now. Mm. Um, and it's changed lives like that. We didn't just see him come to faith. Uh, we see it. We've seen him uh, come into the Great Commission work uh, all summer long. Last summer, uh, Rick was over at uh, the." Uh, ministry we work with at Camp Nathaniel, he gave two days a week, eight, nine, ten hours a day, two days a week to help keep grass mowed. Uh, Vicky has uh, took, has been with us on mission in St. Louis and serves uh, time and time again uh, in various ministries around our uh, in our community. And so they've not just they've not just joined the church; they've not just gotten saved. Oh man, they are active. They are brothers and sisters uh, that you can, that you know, are doing kingdom work uh, on, in a daily way at their jobs um, and in their free time. It is their life, uh, mm. and it is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see.
1: I, I'll tell you guys what really gets me excited about Josh and and Josh, having been able to know you over these years, I know this has been your vision from the beginning. Lots Creek is no longer a place where missionaries have to be be sent to. It's a place that missionaries are being sent from. That's right. That Harvest Baptist Church now is a partner. They're, self, they're a self-sustaining, healthy, vibrant, thriving congregation in the holler of Locks Creek. Did I say that right? right. I got it. I hit it on the head. there, did in I? Right. rabbit town. I can tap into it. <laughs> and now, now they are our gospel partners to put an evangelical church plant in Ahuatemp in Mexico you see how this comes full circle? you see how this comes full circle? When we're talking about partnerships, we're not talking about a one-way street. When I think of resources in my ministry, I think of Josh Feltner. I think of people that I can bank on and count on, and that's one of them. When I think of, of guys that I want to go to the front lines with and go and push back lostness in a city, I think of Josh Feltner. I think of Harvest Baptist Church. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have to be a part of again and again and again and again. The need is great for us to step up our commitment to establish partnerships like the partnership that we have with the Feltners and with Harvest Baptist Church across our country and across the globe. If you just go to that next slide really quickly, what what would that look like? These are not partners that we have currently. This is what a a prospective partner might look like. If you look up, does this guy look familiar to y'all? He looks a lot like this guy, doesn't he? This is Andrew's brother. They are church planters with the North American Mission Board in Montpelier, Vermont. If you were to walk around Montpelier, you'd be able to count the evangelical churches on one hand, one finger, one finger. I apologize for that. You would be able. You you would hardly see a church anywhere around that is preaching the wholeness, the fullness, and the truthfulness of the gospel. It is some of the hardest soil in the country in an increasingly secularized culture but what is the northeast the northeast is the front door of the entire united states what starts in the northeast spreads to the west over the course of time and god many centuries ago established a an awakening that began there and it spread not just to the ends of the united states but around the world and we believe that god could do that again but the heart but the work is hard the work, work is tiresome The work is often thankless. They need partners. They need partners, and and people like them at Capital City Church there need partners. Go to the next slide. I think about China. This is all of the Asian Pacific Rim, but I just want us to focus on just for a second what China looks like. If you were to look at the population of the entire Western Hemisphere, you would find 1.4 billion people. Just the population of China alone is 1.5 billion people. Only 8% of that 1.5 billion people know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. There are 3 million children in the country of China that live in orphanages, and millions and millions more of them are being trafficked around the world for God knows only what. They need partners. They need partners. There are more than 400 unreached people groups in this country alone. And there are missionaries that are going to unreached, unengaged people groups that have no reliable transmission of the gospel in their region, in their language, in their culture. And they're pushing it back against government resistance, against atrocious human rights efforts. And I'm telling you, Iron City, we need to be a part of the fight. We need to be a part of the fight. We need partnerships in places like Vermont, in places like Salt Lake, in places like Lott's Creek, in places like China, and Eswatini, and Ahwatempan. We need to expand our vision beyond our own living rooms, and beyond our own television screens, and beyond our own needs to the world. The world that is hopeless outside of Jesus. And so over the next decade, what we endeavor to do is to be able to strategically establish these kinds of partnerships and friendships for the sake of the gospel, where we can labor together in every region and on every continent. At this point, I want to toss it over to you, Andrew, so maybe you could talk about that second big goal that, uh, that we see over the next 10 years.
3: Yeah, so second big goal, uh, after go through, go looking through this, man, the second big goal is that we want to establish five long-term missionaries sent. From Iron City, five long-term missionaries sent. So, what does that look like? That that could look a, a lot of different ways. Uh, that could be you take a three-year something. It could take. that means you're going to move to uh, Salt Lake. It could mean a lot of different things. But here's the thing: when, when we started dreaming through this, what in the summer of last year, right? That's right. Um, we're talking like, we're, how do you even come up with a number? Like, and I, and we just kind of thought, man, if we could get man five long-term missionaries sent out of iron city and then the next 10 years that that's there's never been one to my knowledge sent out of iron city long term that, that i'm aware of um and we've got a pretty old church
1: that's right 1887
3: and so then i, I start, start start praying through this and we start thinking about it well then i have a conversation with a couple and that's talking about long-term missions like and how they want to be there and then i talk with another young lady who's Saying that, yeah, this this is where I want to be, and then I talked with another young lady who's just getting work experience so she can do this, and I'm thought, All right, maybe we undershot it. And we're, <laughs> I'm at four already that's on my radar, and I think God, man, God is absolutely doing something here, and uh, and, and I'm telling you, man, God is. Um, you can go ahead and to the next slide up, uh, but, but but so could, we kind of want to know what what is a missionary, and it can look a lot of different ways. What does a missionary do? Uh, go ahead and throw the next one up. Um, Here's the thing. We, we think, is it possible to send five long-term missionaries out of our And You see this quote in William K. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Man, if we're not expecting great things like, and we're not attempting great things, we're not going to get great things. We have to have a goal of that. And that, man, <clears throat> that's my heart, and you've heard from me enough today already. But, uh, but uh, to, uh, to have the idea of that maybe, we, and you've seen the timeline. We'll get to that in a minute. But, maybe five is, 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 is the start. Mm. And then maybe we see, there was a, a slideshow that we were going to try to show that kind of messed up and, and uh, we had some tech issues with it. But in that, when I was pre- previewing that, I noticed some things. I noticed that there were some people on there over the last 10 years that aren't with us today because they're in heaven. People like Pete Brooks, mm. Joyce Vaughn, and, uh, and Bobby Wilkins. And, and these are like huge like, you can't replace these type people, right? Like, yeah. it would take an army to replace them, but God has called you here. And, and you're probably, we're, I mean, you're going to hear from us over these over these goals over the next, I mean, you're not going to stop hearing about it. So if you don't like it, you're going to have to figure something else out. But you know, we believe that God is working in the hearts of our people. God is bringing the right people here, sending the right people to us already, and placing the right foundation. We've got the right people on the bus we're just going to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. That's
1: right. And we were talking about this. That this could be my my kids over the next 10 years. It could be yours that God raises up and sends out. The question begins to go, how, how can we do this? We're going to have to join in together. This is going to have to be a team effort. This can't be a staff effort. This can't be an elder effort. This can't even be a church leadership effort. This can't be a 15% does 100% of the work kind of effort. This has to be all of us together. On one page, pursuing one mission, the Great Commission, because we are fulfilling one commandment, the Great Commandment, with all of our hearts. And so what this looks like is over the next ten years, we need to double our missions budget. We need to double our missions budget. And I know that every month, some of you, are, you are so faithful to give. For others, maybe it gets out of sight and out of mind, but you, you give every month. And you're like me, and sometimes it just feels like you're just throwing checks in a, in a dark hole. And one of the things that Andrew and I have committed to is we're going to do a better job of sharing with you the stories, like what you've heard this morning, all of these stories possible because you are funding them through the missions budget. Again, all of this morning's offering is going toward the missions budget. But this is possible because of what you're doing. A couple of stories. If you'll go to that next slide. You'll look right here. This is the well that was built in Swaziland. You can see over on the right, that's the post that that which is Je- Pastor Jeffrey's wife, that's what she wrote when she published this. Before this well was dug, her husband woke up before daylight every morning and went about two to three miles with a wheelbarrow to fill, up, fill it up with water to bring it home so that his family would have water before the day. Now there's about 45 families in that region that have a reliable, clean water source. Oh, you weren't giving money to a a black hole. You were funding something that matters. You were funding something that fundamentally changed the life of someone every single day. You're enabling a pastor to have greater capacity to make disciples because basic needs for his family and for those around him were met. I know, Andrew, you wanted to share the next
3: yeah. So the next next slide, you can throw this up. Um, and so one thing that, that that we get, you recognize this guy. <laughs> uh, one one thing that's that's really neat about the missions budget is that we're able to do things quickly because you vote on it. the way that works. And if you, when you go through our vision and values class, we explain that. Um, but the, the way that works is when we have a need, man, we're able to essentially. I text the mission team because you've already guys voted on the budget for the year and I can text them and once I get the sign off on them which have elders and deacons on this team we're able to move quickly like I can wire money that within an hour and here's a situation where we had a man who for the most his whole entire life was having to take public transit into Puebla for um, different needs and 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 he's he's walking and he's probably riding bikes at some point and we're able to to find out we we found out with and we partnered with josh and we partnered with harvest and we're able to purchase him a vehicle like i mean just instantly i mean within seemed like days of us talking about that and now he has the ability to do missions and disciple he's past this is pastor reuben and i want tip and this is the man that we're going to see in a few few weeks And we're going to spend some time with him, and this allows him to get to his other pastors in the area and disciple them and to get into the city and do the things that he needs to do, all because, man, you give faithfully to the mission's budget.
1: And let me give you a vision for what it could be. Did you know that if we could pay him $800 a month, $800 a month, he could be a full-time pastor in Puebla? $800 a month. We can do that, y'all. We can do that with partners We can do that. We can be a part of this. If all of us would give 10% to the church and 1% to the missions budget, this is knocked out. 1%. 1%. Some of you, you're giving faithfully, and, and this is what I'm going to challenge all of you to do. Maybe you can't start at 1%, but you, got, you can start somewhere. What if every person in here, maybe you're already giving, and you, you, you could give a little bit more. Maybe you haven't ever given, and the Lord would, would move in your heart to begin to give. What if all of us resolve to do without one thing every month, one meal out to eat? For my family to go to Zaxby's, family of five, it's about $35, Zaxby's. What if my family could do with, without Zaxby's one time a month? and increase our giving by $35. Would you pray about the possibility of joining in works like Pastor Ruben, who are laboring on the front lines where you can participate and partner with them? Because I'm telling you, this is realistic. Would you put that, that timeline? And this is what I'm going to leave you with this evening or this morning. You probably received a, a sermon guide as you came in, and it has this on the back. But what I want you to see is that what we're talking about, the aspirational goals that we've set for the next 10 years, are not unrealistic. By the help of God, by the unity of God's people, by the passion for the gospel, we can do this. This is what it would look like for us to establish partners around the United States and on every continent of the globe on the next 10 years in a time frame. This is the realistic way of how it would look like if we double our budget, if we send out five missionaries. Of course, we know that God doesn't necessarily follow our little dominoes the way that we want them to fall. fall. But if we we project out, this is how it can look. And, y'all, I'm telling you, God is my witness. This is realistic for the people of God. This is realistic for the people of God. It boils down to this. Will we pray? Will we give? Will we go? Will we pray? Will we give? Will we go? So that one day, ten years from now, when the babies in our nursery are preteens, we can bring them, put this back up on the board, and we can say, Let me bear witness to what God has done. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Brothers and sisters, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. Let's pray together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one on one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.